0: Shut up and sit down. I'm Dr. Corbin Weaver, an OB/GYN resident.
1: I'm Dr. Katie Wyatt, and I'm one too.
2: And I'm Dave Etler, their podfather. And And
1: we we are are the Vaggibons.
0: Three friends venturing through the world of feminism and healthcare for women, babies, and people of all kinds.
1: We don't give medical advice and we don't speak for anyone other than ourselves.
2: We're just recording conversations we'd be having in bars anyway.
1: This week, we'll be talking about premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Hi. Hello. Hi.
2: Premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Yes. Can't wait to talk about that.
1: I know Just it's very exciting. Kind indeed, of. it's it's kind of exciting because usually I feel like people are have good um, uh, solution of their uh, symptoms, resolution of their symptoms. Yes, usually anyway well that's good so uh do you guys know what Corbin does Dave do you know what premenstrual dysphoric disorder is
2: I'm gonna guess that it is a situation where you do not like your menstruation
1: (laughs) (laughs) well if that was the case then a lot more people would have it
2: (laughs) oh okay
1: but it's kind of close um okay so I think probably almost everyone has heard of PMS right um Maybe not everybody knows what it means, but Mm -hmm. uh, it's like a pretty common thing to complain about. Um, So PMS is premenstrual syndrome, um, which is basically just like the constellations of symptoms that women or people who have periods get before before they have their period, hence premenstrual. Um, and it contains things like bloating and, um, increased moodiness, um, um, irritability, um, some anxiety, uh, changes in sleep or concentration, things like that. Um, but, uh, PMS is, uh, like those symptoms are, Are low level enough that they don't really affect your day to day functioning, Mm -hmm. Um, and so PMS is really common. Um, Twenty to thirty percent of people who menstruate have symptoms of PMS at some point, so pretty common thing. But PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, um, has it's a lot worse, Um, and only three to eight percent of people of reproductive age have um, PMDD. Um, And so the dysphoria is really the part that makes it worse. Um, The dysphoria referring to the fact that it disrupts your life greatly, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, I don't know. I don't remember if I said it in the podcast or not. But uh, my last rotation of med school was uh, a rotation called Women's Wellness And basically that rotation was a psych rotation, but it had to do with everything that dealt with OB-GYN just from a psych perspective. So, you know, things like fertility issues or like fetal losses we would deal with. Um, But one of the things that one of my attendings dealt with specifically was PMDD. So um, I learned a lot about this disorder from her and from seeing our patients together and it actually was like a really good experience because like I said it's only three to eight percent of people in reproductive years so um, it's really rare and I actually did get to see a patient with it so it was like really good for me like as a future OBGYN to see the patient and like have an idea of what kind of happens in the diagnosis and actual symptoms from like the patient's point of view so that was really Mm -hmm. cool.
2: So these are people whose lives are severely disrupted by their menstrual cycle or their, right. their menstruation. Um, yes. And, and so what? how does that disruption manifest itself for different yeah. people?
1: Yeah. So um, the there are a bunch of um, symptoms that are like criteria that you have to meet. So PMDD is you have to have at least five symptoms plus the functional or social impairment part of it. Um so the the symptoms are a uh, labile affect which affect is like how you respond to the world um I, I'm trying to think of like a good way to explain it. It's like how you respond to things kind of. Your, um, is it your so like outward like if you looked at someone Yeah, like if you looked at someone you could tell like if they're happy or sad right, and right. people who have labile affects are like very dramatically different depending on the what you say or do or whatever.
2: So they, um, they, so they bounce around. Um they bounce around between different um different apparent emotions or is that what you Yeah, mean?
1: yeah. Like um right. Okay. So like they would be like super sad but like more sad than they would be like not during their premenstrual time. Okay. Or like they'd be extremely like they get very angry more so than that would be normal for them. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, and going along with that, irritability. So you know, just little things mm-hmm. are setting setting you off. Yeah. Um, depressed mood is one. Anxiety is one. Decreased interest. Um, so it's like interest in things that you enjoy doing. Typically, um, difficult concentrating, low energy, change in sleep patterns, and feeling overwhelmed. And then there's also a few physical symptoms such as breast tenderness, muscle aches, bloating, and weight gain. So anyone who has ever taken like a psych course or a diagnostic psych course um, probably recognize that most of these symptoms are actually also symptoms of depression. Um, And so PMDD, part of it is like a rule out diagnosis. So to make the diagnosis of PMDD, you can't have It can't be an exacerbation of another psychiatric disorder. So like it can't just be depression that gets worse with your menstrual cycle. It has to be its own, its own disorder. You can, there are patients who have both depression and PMDD, but it's pretty hard to like suss out those differences. Um, Another thing you have to rule out is substance abuse or use. Um, Obviously, There are medications that we prescribe that could cause some of these symptoms, but also, and those would be like bad side effects, obviously, but also if you're abusing a substance, um, that could also cause things like that. And then multi system disorders, which um, means like disorders that aren't of your reproductive system, but are of like your whole body. So, like, this would be things like lupus, hypothyroidism, um, irritable bowel syndrome, migraines, different things like that have to be rolled out too. Um, So like I said, you have to have five of those and they have to significantly impair your life, um, which seems pretty easy. Like if you have five of those, I think that would significantly impair your life. Sounds pretty sucky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that is important is that, um, Before on the podcast, we've talked about the luteal phase and the follicular phase of the menstrual cycle. So just a reminder. So day one of your menstrual cycle is the day that menses starts. Um, Right after that is the follicular follicular phase. So this is when your uterine lining is building up and then you get to the luteal phase. And so this is the week or two weeks um, before your period. And this is when your uterine lining is like getting really um, fluffy and ready for an egg to land there if it wants to or if you know the circumstances are correct Um, and so during this time you have really high progesterone and estrogen so that comes into part of why we think this is the way it is but um, PMDD specifically happens during the luteal phase so um, in other words it happens in the 14 days before menstruation starts Um, And there's some really interesting hypotheses on why um, that matters and why that is the way it is. And it also helps us in treatment too, which I'll get to later. Take a shot. Uh, The exact cause is unknown (laughs) of (laughs) PMPD. I know. Um, But uh, basically, like I said, the uh, estrogen and progesterone are thought to play a role. So one of the hypotheses is that um, a progesterone metabolite, so like a downstream effect of progesterone, modulates the same receptors called GABA that um, is the same receptors that like benzodiazepines or alcohol work on. And so basically um, this, this product of progesterone kind of gives you the same effect as alcohol. So loss of impulse control. Uh, it's a depressant, so negative mood, um, irritability. Another uh, theory is that you have decreased uh, serotonergic activity in luteal phase. So, and the other one is uh, the sex steroids, so estrogen and progesterone, interact with the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, which that's the system that controls, like, how your urine, or how your kidneys respond to, like, your blood pressure, and it kind of keeps your, like, water imbalance in your body so like if you it's basically what happens like if you drink too much water it tells your kidneys to like make more urine essentially so the thought is that like that explains the bloating and weight gain so the sex steroids are like accidentally causing your body to retain more water and so that's like what causes the bloating um like i said they don't know exactly what causes it but they do know that estrogen and progesterone have to play a part because um we'll get to this but one of the treatment slash something that makes it so that this doesn't occur is oophorectomy so removal of the ovaries um and that's where estrogen and progesterone are made so it has to have something to do with those two um hormones because it doesn't happen in people without those hormones Hmm. the other thing that's really interesting is that um We'll get to this a little bit later with the treatment, but it's also thought that one of the reasons is a decreased serotonergic activity. So basically there's less serotonin going around in your body and like serotonin is one of the quote unquote happy hormones. Um, And one of the thoughts is that because there's less serotonin, the receptors for serotonin are upregulated, meaning there are more of them and they're more like ready to accept some serotonin another thing like for the patient themselves. Um, so kind of jumping back to their symptoms. Uh, so, you know, you can like be in clinic and have someone come tell you that they're like having all these symptoms and everything, but when you're in the shit, the shit seems really bad. Right. Yeah. So something that you can do as like a provider is, um, have them mood chart going forward. So, um, this like is more reliable than looking back and trying to have someone say like, oh yeah, that day was really bad or whatever. So you basically have them keep a a mood chart for two cycles. So basically two months if their cycles are 28 days-ish. And you just like have them chart the symptoms that I said earlier. So mood symptoms and then also bloating and fatigue and things like that. Um, And this assists in diagnosis. Okay, so treatment then, Um, there's a lot of different options and some work better for some people than others. So the first line of treatment that you'd get from seeing a physician um, would be uh, some sort of psychotropic medication. So, um, Or the first medication I should say that we would offer you. Um, We'll talk about lifestyle things a little bit. Um, But the first one would be an SSRI, so a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So Mm -hmm. I just mentioned that we think that serotonin receptors are upregulated um, because there's not enough serotonin going around. So, um, anyone who's ever had an SSRI knows that when you get put on one, the person who prescribes it to you is supposed to tell you that it takes a while for these to work. It, you, you know, it usually takes two to three weeks to start seeing any effect and four to six weeks to reach a full effect. Um, weirdly, that is not the case in PMDD. Um it actually SSRIs, you can use them just during the luteal phase. So just when the person is having symptoms and it helps resolve those symptoms. Um, and the reason why is that they think it's because of the upregulation of the serotonin receptors, which is like really interesting and also, um, lends credence to the fact that they, it's a totally different disorder than depression, which I think is really interesting. Um, and you can also use them continuously too so if you're someone who has you know other depression you can continue to use your ssri during you know the whole time during your whole cycle um and then the other thing is would be an anxiolytic so like any uh type like buspirone or any type of a medication we'd give for anxiety um the other thing this is like super common um would be ovulation suppression so basically we put you on birth control which is not for birth control. So we kind of talked about this in one of Corbin's episodes earlier, um, but we give you a birth control pill or a um, some kind of, you know, some kind of quote-unquote birth control contraception, but it's really to suppress your ovaries so that you have less um, estrogen and progesterone production, and that kind of kills the symptoms, kind of like I talked about earlier. Um, there's other things you can do uh, to, like, suppress so the pill or any other contraception is going to suppress at the level of your ovary um there's other things you can do to suppress at the level of the pituitary gland so a gonadotropic receptor agonist so these just suppress at the level of the pituitary they're a little less common because they have more side effects um and then the third is something i talked about earlier so oophorectomy so we could remove the ovaries um it's pretty unlikely that people would do that in a um, in a reproductive age person because there's harms of premature menopause, um, but obviously it's something between the person and their physician. Um, and then you can also give danocrine, which is an androgen hormone, so um, it kind of suppresses the estrogen and progesterone with the you know opposite sex hormone, the, mm-hmm. a testosterone type. Um, Thing And the side effects of that would be male type hair growth. So acne and like hair growth on the face and chest and things like that. Um, And then the one that we'd be first to try um, is the uh, lifestyle thing. So there are some evidence that say that sugar and caffeine can make the symptoms worse. So avoiding those um, all the time, but especially during... The luteal phase can be helpful um, there's also some things that said calcium and b vitamin b6 were helpful so um, you can take those or some magnesium and then omega fatty acids also have been shown to have been helpful um hmm. from what i looked up it wasn't clear if that was just people with good diets versus like actually taking supplements but you know a good diet's always a good idea um, and then the last thing are treat just treating the symptoms and not treating the actual underlying problems. So, obviously, you can take an anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen or naproxen. Um, those help with cramps and headaches and things. Um, sometimes you can get a diuretic for the um, fluid retention or bloating. Um, obviously, you have to get a prescription for that. And then um, there's also always alternative therapies, so acupuncture, Bright light therapy have been shown in some studies to work. Uh, And then exercise. Exercise really helps this, actually. Um, And we know that exercise helps other mood disorders also, so that's always a good idea.
2: It sounds very treatable. Yeah.
1: Um, Obviously, I haven't seen very many patients with it because it's it's super rare. Um, But the patient that I did see had really good resolution of symptoms once she started her SSRI. Must be such a relief. Yeah. It sounds uh, she yeah, was very happy. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, you know, like you say it's it's rare, I mean 3 to 9%, is that what she said? Something like that? 3, 3, 3 to 8, 8%. Yeah. I mean, that's like you know, in the US it's like what? 9 to 26 million or something like that. That's a lot of. That's a fair number of people running around feeling badly about about menstruating.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's crazy too, like how specific the SSRI treatment can help because like she was coming in for just a checkup, but um, like actually noticed that we needed to just extend her treatment one day in each direction um, because that's how specifically her SSRI was helping no. was that she was like noticing them just that one day. And then as soon as she started taking them, her symptoms got better hmm. So it's a really life-changing treatment. Like if you can figure out which treatment works for your patient, it can be really helpful.
2: It's funny because it, there's not, I don't know, I, I, I'm sure this isn't true, but I feel sometimes it feels like there's a lot of conditions where, you know, you got to try a bunch of different things. You got to work real hard. You got to, you know, uh, adjust medications constantly. You got to fiddle with this. You got to do that. You know, sometimes it doesn't work. It's kind of refreshing once in a while to see one that you're like, yeah, we know what to do with this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah well i mean that's how this is in the beginning right like not every um not every pill is gonna work for every person so it i mean it is like that initially like you do have to do a little bit of like fine-tuning obviously but for people who it works for it works really mm-hmm. well
2: okay so not everybody gets immediately relief or anything right. like that okay.
1: yeah exactly
2: sorry people who don't get immediate immediate relief i know don't wish to don't write don't write us letters
1: Yeah, and also don't get mad at your doctor. It's part of the scientific process. (laughs) It is. That's how we try not to mess up and give you bad side effects. So obviously, uh, since it has to do with estrogen and progesterone, like, you know, it's a question, um, because there's lots of estrogen and progesterone in pregnancy, but um, actually women who get pregnant, or people who get pregnant, excuse me, um, usually see their symptoms go away um, while they're pregnant, even though they have all that progesterone and estrogen, um, they have better symptoms. Um, but they also have a higher risk of having postpartum depression. Um, cause also postpartum depression has a link with the hormones also. So, um, just kind of interesting things to watch out for.
2: So it, it, is it that whatever mechanism is protecting one during pregnancy from PMDD, the removal of that pregnancy just makes the symptoms come back real strong is that is that what the postpartum I, le- yeah I don't know hmm.
1: I mean I'm sure that's a theory for sure well
2: it's my theory go out there and investigate that <laughs> All right. we'll call it the Etler <laughs> hypothesis
1: on, I love it when I get to use something I did for work for uh, my podcast too
0: yeah so kill was, two birds with one stone
1: or as my brother would say get two birds stoned at once <laughs> of course have you
0: ever seen a patient with it uh I don't think so actually um no not where we were specifically like treating that no yeah yeah like I
1: said it's pretty rare um obviously starting residency I like want to know all my resources for like how the heck am I going to do this for the next four years so um ACOG does have a, a practice bulletin um it's the practice bulletin titled non-contraceptive uses of hormonal contraceptives which is kind of a funny title, Um, but they basically uh, have a section for PMDD and they go through and talk about like um, some of the research, um, like which OCPs work better and things like that. So just if anyone's looking for that, I'll post it in the show notes too.
2: Who's got something to talk about fallopian-file-wise, then? Kay. I want to talk about Dorian Music Camp. Uh, my son just got back from Luther College. He's, my listeners. Some listeners will know that my son is 13, so he's in middle school, just getting out of middle school, in fact. Um, and Luther College, which is a college in, uh, in Decorah in Iowa, has a yearly music camp for young people. So, you go there for a whole week, and all you do is music. Um, you know, focus on your instrument, or in his case, instruments. Um, take some some classes. He took a composition class, um, which was really cool. And then at the end, after like a week solid of just music, 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 they have a big concert. Um, it's hours long, which yeah, you know, is a little grueling in some ways, but, um, but actually really sort of wonderful at the same time, because they go in, and like in a week, so just this huge amount of progress is made. And at the end, they have this big concert and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, so shout out to Dorian and to other music camps. I would like to see, um, in, in the vein of, of my, my other fallopian file, Mr. Bill Pringle, um, I would like to see uh, just more kids doing music in school. That'd be, that'd be sweet, thanks. That's awesome, yep
0: that is awesome
2: pretty nice they had uh so they had uh orchestras they had uh bands they had a jazz band they had choir um Dang. and uh, you know a lot of these you know kids go on to be uh you know counselors in, in the, like a lot of camps it's um, so just uh just really cool oh cool yeah, just really cool.
0: I have a Flopian file. I don't know if I've done this already, but um, it's Caliphate. It's a podcast. Surprise, surprise. Um, it's not. by the New York Times and it's about this reporter who investigates ISIS and it's really, really good. What is it called? Caliphate? Caliphate, yep. How do you spell that? C-A-L-I-P-H-A-T-E. Caliphate. Okay. Sweet. Calif-
2: uh, Caliphate is mine... a... Uh, for those wondering, it's oh, a... The rule or reign of a caliph or chief Muslim ruler.
0: Oh, so that's
2: where the name comes from.
0: That's what um Isis is claims to be trying to establish. Yes. Ah, I see. Yes.
1: Um well I just forgot mine, so give me a hot second. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. Okay. Mine is your local haunted slash ghost tour of your city. <laughs> so <laughs> We just went to Charlotte and um, our friend, because our friend Austin matched there and uh, we were like, we're visiting and we were looking up stuff to do that night. And he's like, there's a ghost tour of Charlotte. And we're like, "Uh, yeah. yes, we need to Sign do this. Um, none of us believe in ghosts. Don't at me. Uh, but it's really fun to like learn about random history of a city and like, Random things that you would, you know, like would never be on like any other tour or whatever. Like, we saw the house that like produced the most alcohol during prohibition in Charlotte. It was like 50% of Charlotte's alcohol is from this one house. And um we saw these like condos that are an old hospital. And like, you would never know that, you know, unless you had learnt, gone on this tour. Yeah. So, it's super fun there's a lot of them in the south apparently which is not surprising but I
0: I really really wanted to do this when I was in Stockholm but it was (gasps) too cold I decided and I would have gone by myself so I was like eh it's cold
2: was this a walking Uh, tour or was it on a bus or
0: yeah walking tour
2: very cool
1: I bet there's one in Austin and it was by lamplight so it was especially spooky spooky and it ended in a graveyard I bet there's one in Austin Corbs. I'm sure there is. Probably.
0: I'll have to look it up. You shouldn't make one in Iowa City Day. <laughs> you could go to that creepy angel yeah, thing. Yeah,
2: the black angel in uh in the graveyard on the what is it, the east side. Yeah.
1: You could also go to the old smallpox hospital.
2: Oh, where's that?
1: Uh up north by the interstate. Um like never heard of this. East of Dubuque Street. Cool.
0: This yeah. Philippine Files is haunted things in your hometown. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's
1: actually. A, oh, there's like two of them. Ooh, we're doing that when I come, corps. This is my new thing that I want to do on vacations. Yeah. I did Austin. You
2: know why it's never occurred to me to do this when we look like go to Boston in or whatever? There's got to those... be a bunch in Boston. Yeah. All right.
0: Oh yeah. Um, there's definitely some. There's for definitely sure some in Boston. Well, you should go to Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah, Salem, absolutely. Safe. I think, I think apparently the Paris one is
1: supposed to be cool too. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, what was he? Oh yeah. So Corbin and I were texting earlier and we're like talking about all, like we Googled each other's cities and we're like talking about all of our fun facts <laughs> and we're like, we should just have a episode that's just us sharing fun facts about our cities.
2: <laughs> well, Corbin and I were trading while, while you were telling us about PMDD and we were listening carefully, Corbin and I were yeah. trading ads on, uh, Instagram because, uh, apparently uh her cat her kitty wants to be a podcaster
0: yeah he was meowing into the microphone earlier I didn't hear it yeah. he... now he's laying on my, my a... desk like an adorable just the adorable creature that he is
2: you got new cats mm-hmm. when you uh when you went out there
1: yeah katie well i just got new cats like two days two ago. days ago they're lovely i love them
2: um what are their names
1: well, right now, their names are Jean-Rafio and Mona Lisa. But we're not sure if Mona Lisa is actually a girl, so that's 2BD.
2: Jean-Rafio?
1: Yeah. Have you ever seen Parks and Rec?
2: Uh, I confess that I have never.
1: Dave, you're killing me. It's from Parks and Rec.
2: I know. Ugh. It's definitely a uh, a neglected portion of my cultural education.
0: Yes, it is. Um, So they're like two haunted ghost tours in Austin but one of them drives you around in a hearse and I don't think I like
1: that (laughs) Uh, that well
2: you can only fit a couple of people in a hearse unless you're in the back nobody wants well I think you probably do sit in the back nobody wants to be in the back
1: I know I do. Yep. the next time we're podcasting we'll both have started our
2: I can't wait to uh, hear how that goes, it's gonna be awesome. I mean, you're gonna be tired,
0: gonna right? Be you're gonna be, you're, but you're
2: gonna be exhilarated, I bet. We'll see.
0: I hope we're yeah, exhilarated. Yeah. Me too. Okay. See you soon. All right. All right. Bye. Bye, Bye friends. Bye.